The following sermon is from Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Pastor Rob. Revelation 6. Today we're going to be talking about some, some pretty heavy stuff. I don't know if you've noticed in the last uh, couple weeks, Pastor Dan's been working through the book of Revelation. It's an intimidating book, and it's a deep book. And uh, I promise even though what we'll be talking about are events that's going to happen after the rapture of the church, this is still very important for us to understand today. I want to tell you a story, and I think most of you probably have heard this, but I thought it was appropriate given the, the nature of the the scripture today. I'm going to talk to you about the story of the Trojan horse. In the ancient city of Troy, it had been under siege for 10 long years by the Greeks. The people were weary and they just wanted the fighting to stop. Without saying too much, they really what they needed was peace and they just they wanted the fighting to stop. Then suddenly the Greeks, they look like they're actually going to retreat. And they leave behind this huge wooden horse as a gift. Well, Troy ends up taking that horse in, thinking it's a maybe a gift of, of peace or a ceasefire. Or, and then, then they start thinking, hey, we're done. We're won. We're, we've won. The battle's over. But if you know the story, what's going on? The, the Greeks are actually hidden inside the Trojan horse. And later at night, where they're in the, when they're in the midst of celebrating, they sneak out of that horse and they kill everyone in the city. And that shows us that this is a deception, and deceptions can be devastating. If you fast forward to our time, we've got conflicts, we've got chaos happening around the globe. In the last couple of years, I'm sure you've been hearing about the war in Ukraine with the Russia invasion, and now there's a war going on between Israel and Hamas. The news lately has been filled with heart-wrenching stories of violence and loss, not just soldiers, but civilians, men, women, children, including toddlers and babies. I was on Twitter I like getting on there. They call it X now, but you know, there's a lot of uncensored news on there. I'm not saying it's totally perfect, but it's a lot better than what we've had in the past. And I've just seen some, some graphic photos of just babies and children being slaughtered. And it's sickening. And it's evil what is happening. It's, dev- it's a devastating situation affecting countless lives. And I think this is where it gets real for us today. That type of chaos going on there. The type of chaos that's been going on for centuries around the world, you know, we think, hey, we live in the United States and we've experienced our ups and downs, but for the most part, we've been in a, a, relative, a relatively peaceful time. But what we're seeing going on in our world today, particularly in the Middle East and in Europe, that's just a foreshadowing of what's going to come, what we'll see in Revelation 6, events that are going to take place after the believers are raptured. And I, I talked about this on Sunday night a couple weeks ago about the rapture, how Jesus is going to come and take his church before that time of wrath, that time of judgment that God will bring. But the idea of our text today, we're, we're going to see the first two seals broken on the scroll that the Lamb is holding, and you're going to see a contrast of judgments. There's going to be this incoming deceptive conquest, and then this overt chaos, this war. And the idea of the sermon, in the unfolding tapestry of future events, God's judgment calls us as believers today to be discerning, 
and to rely on Him. And that's really, I think, if you're asking the question, why should we talk about this if we're not even going to be here for it? And I think that's a good question. But what it, what, we're, what it boils down to is we need to understand that what's to come should give us an urgency to be faithful to our Lord, to share the gospel, and to be beacons of truth and love in a world that's heading toward deception and chaos. Do you think it's bad now? You haven't seen anything yet. It's going to be way worse in the future, and perhaps the near future. I don't set dates. I'm not that type of guy, but I'd be lying if... After seeing everything that's going on, I'd be lying if I said the thought of Jesus coming at any moment hadn't crossed my mind. And it does. It does every day. I'm saying, I even pray for it. Even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. But our aim is this. We need to be equipped as believers to be discerning. We need to be spiritually fortified, promoting readiness for God's plan in the future. Even though we're not a part of it, we can still make an impact today. And so we're going to dig deep into how we as the church, we live with discernment and peace in a world that desperately needs Jesus. As I said, we're not going to experience these specific judgments, but we can learn from them. And understanding what's coming can shape how we live now. It can push us toward a greater commitment towards Jesus and a deeper love for people who need to know him before it's too late. So as I said, we're in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to see how God's future judgment impacts our lives and fills us with an urgency and an understanding that true peace can only come from Him. If you're able, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of Revelation 6, and they will also be on the screen as well. Verse 1, it says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Lord, we're thankful for, for your love, for your mercy, and your unchanging truth, and as we look at this, this profound text in Revelation, we ask for your wisdom and guidance. Lord, our hearts are burdened for the situation in the Middle East and in the world, and Lord, we lift up the, the conflict, the lives lost and the, the families torn apart, and Lord, while that nation longs for peace, we know that only true peace can come from you. Lord, we pray for your peace to reign in our hearts. We pray that that it would be a peace that transcends all understanding. And we pray for wisdom. We pray for, um, for you to intervene, for you to, for you to come and, and, and shake this world up and, and make it right again, for your son to, to come back and to return. Lord, we acknowledge that Israel holds a unique place in your plan and in prophecy. And as we explore the unfolding events of the end times today, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be mindful of your people and your sovereign hand at work in this world. Lord, we also, Lord, help us to just recognize the urgency and understanding what's going to come in the future. It reminds us to be vigilant, to share the gospel, to live faithfully. Lord, give us discernment. Give us peace in our hearts, knowing you are in control, even when the world seems to be spiraling into chaos and deception. And 
Lord, open our minds to understand the Scriptures. Open our hearts to receive Your truth. And Lord, help our will to respond in obedience. I pray today's message would equip us to be discerning, but also to be vigilant in sharing the good news of Your Son, the Lord Jesus, especially when we look at the urgent and critical times we're in. Lord, I pray You fill this sanctuary with Your grace. I pray Your Holy Spirit would work mightily among us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask, we ask you all these things in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing we see is the Lamb. The Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. He possesses the divine authority to break the seals, initiating the Great Tribulation. Now, I know I referenced Revelation 6.1, but I want to just... Uh, do a recap of Pastor Dan's message from uh, chapter five of Revelation, just to set the stage as the ne- when the next two seals will be when the first two seals will be broken. But in that message, we encountered the all-striking scene where the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes before God's throne to take the scroll, as He was the only one worthy to take it. And what is that scroll? In essence, it's like the title deed to the universe, which has the universe has been suffering under a cosmic curse since humanity's fall into sin. When we look at Revelation 6 and even uh, Revelation 5, we see uh, the Lamb, the one who's breaking the seals, he's setting in motion God's plan to reclaim, renew, and restore his creation. And, you know, our culture is abuzz with various movements. You hear about the social justice movement. You hear about financial equity. You hear about identity politics. Those are just a couple of things we can think of. But these causes, while they're in our face right now, they pale in comparison to the importance of what's truly coming. As followers of Christ, I want to say this. It's not that we don't care about what's going on in the world, but we should be more concerned with the eternal reality that awaits us. And so when you think about the setting of this, the scrolls, the Lord Jesus being worthy, I thought a good way of illustrating just the situation there with the scrolls. You know, Jesus was the only one worthy to do that. And I couldn't help but think of like a high security vault, you know, containing government files that were so confidential that only one individual held the authorization to access them. Now, if you magnify that scenario on a cosmic scale, looking at the moment described here in Revelation, contained within that heavenly scroll are the unfathomable secrets of divine judgment and the destiny of the entire universe, but there's only one with the divine clearance to break those seals and reveals what and reveal what's inside, and that's the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he the only one qualified for this task? Because he is he alone is found worthy. He has, in a manner of speaking, passed the most stringent, heavily vetting process, and he stands as our unrivaled champion, uniquely equipped to unveil the mystery of the future. Some people raise objections to Jesus being worthy or Jesus being the only way to God. Some argue that there are other religious leaders that also claim to have divine authority. What makes Jesus so special? Well, Jesus' claim to divinity, the fact of his divinity doesn't just hang in the air unsupported. He demonstrated his divine nature through his miracles. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He taught with an authority that dumbfounded scholars. And we shouldn't forget he fulfilled hundreds, if not thousands, of Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. And the real mic drop, 
he conquered death, rising from the grave, establishing once and for all that he is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Another objection people bring. Some say that all paths lead to God. What makes, what, why make such a big deal about Jesus? And while there are a lot of people who acknowledge the existence of a higher power, only Jesus Christ has fully disclosed God's nature and provided a way for us to have a relationship with Him. Through Jesus, we see the full character of God, His holiness, His love, His justice, His mercy, His righteousness, all of it. And that's why He is alone is worthy. Revelation 5 and 6 make it crystal clear. Only the Lamb is worthy because He is our Redeemer. He's the one who stood in our place, took our sin and conquered death so that we can have eternal life. And that alone makes Him worthy, but let's add to that. He is the exact representation of God. Compassionate, merciful, righteous, just. He knows us because He became one of us, experiencing the struggles and sufferings we face. When you look at this passage in Revelation, it's not just a cool apocalyptic scene. It's a foundational text that showcases the ultimate authority and worthiness of Jesus Christ to initiate the world's final chapters. And He alone is qualified for the job. And so what do we do with all this? Our response with this, with this first point I'm making, we need to worship Him. We need to lift our hands. We need to lift our hearts. We need to lift our voices, glorifying the Lamb who is worthy of our praise. We need to adore Him. We need to look at Jesus with awe-inspired reverence and be amazed by His holiness, His justice, His power. And we need to submit to Him. Our marching order should only come from Jesus. Our will, our choices, our entire life should align with Him. After all, if He holds the authority over the universe, doesn't He deserve to have authority over our lives? By understanding the authority of the Lamb, we don't just gain a theological knowledge, we gain a perspective that should radically change how we live today. So we need to trust Him. The second thing that we see and this is where it gets interesting with the seal judgments, the great tribulation beginning. The white horse's rider symbolizes a deceptive counterfeit peace. Let's go ahead and read verse 2 of Revelation 6. And it says, And I look and behold a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The apostle John is receiving this vision on the island of Patmos and this, this is where the heavenly scroll is beginning to unroll. And the first thing we see, you've got the four beasts, you've got the lamb, but then that seal is broken and, and then there appears a rider on a white horse. And this isn't just any ordinary horse. And it's certainly not just any ordinary rider. He has a bow and he has a crown. And we're told he goes out conquering and to conquer. But did you notice something that was missing? He's got the bow, but he doesn't have any arrows. The bow has no arrows. The rider doesn't seem to need them. This is a way of demonstrating a peaceful conquest, a peaceful conqueror. A lot of scholars have thought that this person, this individual, this rider, might be the Antichrist. And before you raise an eyebrow, I want to point out that there are other prophecies that tell similar stories. I can't help but think of Daniel 9. And like I said, I don't think we can dogmatically say that the rider of the white horse is indeed the Antichrist because when you look at the other three horses, they appear to be forces rather than individuals. But I will say this, 
Scripture tells us that a ruler will, in Daniel 9, confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's seven years. And that covenant will bring a temporary false peace. So we're dealing here with a form of peace, but it's a deceptive peace. The world is headed toward a fragile, superficial, global peace that doesn't last long. It's a house of cards that's ready to fall. History gives us a lot of example of leaders, particularly charismatic leaders who at first glance seem like saviors, but they turn out to be wolves in sheep's clothing. The first person that came to my mind when I thought of this was Adolf Hitler. Hitler was indeed a man of charisma. He was a gifted orator, and he knew how to manipulate masses. To paint a backdrop for a second, Germany was in shambles following World War I. The Treaty of Versailles had humiliated the nation. The economy was in free fall. Hyperinflation was through the roof, and unemployment was staggering. Enter Adolf Hitler, who leveraged this crisis to rise to prominence. He promised peace, prosperity, and a restored sense of national pride. He appealed to the frustrations and fears of the people that were, uh, were under him. And if you've read the Bible, that's not anything new. Initially, Hitler seemed to be a hero for the German people. And for a brief period, the economy things did get a little bit better in Germany. But this temporary prosperity did not last. Just as the rider on the white horse in Revelation brought a false sense of peace and conquest, Hitler's early successes were merely a facade for atrocities that would follow. He ended up revealing his true colors. There was war, there was genocide, and devastation on an almost unimaginable scale. Hitler led the world into World War II, a conflict that resulted in deaths of millions, including six million Jews in the Holocaust. Hitler is a sobering example of why discernment matters. He was a false messiah who brought a counterfeit peace. He was a conqueror, but not of righteousness. He led people not toward a lasting peace, but into war, chaos, and unimaginable suffering. And this is where we need to put on our theological thinking caps. There's a couple of passages, Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to go ahead and just bring your attention to one of them. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The idea of the Antichrist, that's a widely debated topic among believers. Some people think if Jesus comes back in the next 30 years and the Great Tribulation follows, he may already be here, and he may even be active in government today. Others think he may appear later. Others would say there is not going to be any kind of person like that at all. But the bottom line is this, whether or not he's here yet, we need to be prepared because there are false messiahs even in our time today. We need to be anchored in Christ so when the counterfeit messiahs come, we aren't swayed. And so what that means for us practically, we need to be discerning. So here's some meat and potatoes for you. The first thing is this, we need to pray, especially for wisdom. That's about as basic as it gets. And I'm thankful 
for Alex taking the time this morning to emphasize the importance of prayer and unity in the church. James 1.5 tells us to pray for wisdom, and God will generously give it to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 tells us that the scriptures are profitable, particularly the thing I want to bring up is that the scripture equips us. This is our manual, our guidebook, our playbook, and we shouldn't ignore it. And we also need to look for fruits. In Matthew 7, the Lord Jesus shows us characteristics of false prophets. Eventually, people are going to show their true colors in time. We need to be critical of what we consume. Most of us, if not all of us now, are on some type of social media platform. Most of us have a streaming service in our home where we can consume just about any movie or TV show that we want. And with that streaming, you can get whatever music you want. You can get whatever news you want. You can hear all sorts of opinions from, from the private citizen all the way up to the world leader. A lot of preachers on social media. They all shape our worldview. And we need to test everything against the Scripture and cling to what is good, as Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. We need to trust in God, not man. It's tempting to put our hope in leaders or systems, but Psalm 146.3 reminds us that salvation is not going to come from them. It will only come from the Lord. We live in complex times. It's ripe with opportunity for deception. It might be tempting to just go with the flow, to accept the narratives given to us without question, but that's not the calling of a follower of Christ. We're called to be discerning, to be like the Bereans, who didn't just take Paul's word for it, they checked the Scriptures daily. So we shouldn't just float through life. We should be active in our faith, equipping ourselves with discernment, rooted in the solid foundation of Christ and His Word. And we need to remember that being prepared for these unfolding end-time events isn't just about escaping the tribulation. I don't believe we'll be here for it, but it is about being spiritually fortified for us today so that we can stand firm and shine the light of Christ in a darkening world. Amen? That brings me to my next and final point. The third rider of the red horse who signifies a period of chaos and bloodshed. Let's go ahead and read verses 3 through 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. When the Lord breaks the second seal, we're jolted into a new reality. Peace is no longer. John is seeing some wild stuff in his vision, and out comes this red horse and a man, and the rider means business. It's not like your everyday horse you might see in a stable. This one has a job to do, a divine mission. This guy is riding the horse. He has authority right from the throne of God, to rip away the false peace that the world is hiding behind. And what he unleashes isn't pretty. It's a time where humanity gets flipped upside down, where people are at each other's throats. It's basically worldwide mayhem. And then you look at the, the sword. Let's bring attention to the sword. This isn't your run-of-the-mill movie prop. This is a great sword, like the kind of sword you hear about in epic tales, but this time it's horrifyingly real. It's not for show. It's bringing in some serious chaos. And it's not a regional crisis or a neighborhood feud. It's a full worldwide anarchy. 
This sword symbolizes global disruption that spirals into wars, assassinations, and so on. If you think the world's a messy place now, this is like dialing it up to 11. Communities, nations, if you think of them like a sweater, this horseman is just pulling out the threads until the whole thing comes undone. But here's the kicker. It's not random chaos. This is not God losing control. This is purposeful. It's deliberate. This is God's judgment. This is his way of setting things right. As crazy as that might sound, it shows us that God is still in charge, even when everything seems to be spiraling out of control. And we need to be real. Sometimes it takes a little chaos to make us realize just how much we need God, right? In light of the recent events that's been going on, we don't have to look, forward to find, we don't have to look far to find something that parallels this. If you think about the situation in Israel, we're talking about rockets, we're talking about abductions, we're talking about devastation. On October 7th, Hamas launched a staggering 3,500 rockets in a single six-hour span. There was guerrilla warfare in the streets with deaths of civilians carried out in horrific execution style. Chaos doesn't even begin to describe that. When the red horse of revelation starts to gallop, the level of global chaos will make that awful situation seem like a walk in the park. At this point, you might be asking, why would a loving God let this happen? And that's a tough question, and it's one that challenges our fundamental understanding of God's character. But the Bible makes it clear, even in God's judgment, God is demonstrating his love. It says in Hebrews 12:6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. We shouldn't forget that God's ultimate plan includes calling Israel back to himself. A theme you're going to see unravel as you study deeper into the book of Revelation. So even in the horror of judgment, there's an undercurrent of divine purpose and love. And as we looked at the imagery of the red horse in Revelation 6, we're confronted with a picture of a world unraveled, a society where peace has been ripped away, leading to widespread violence and death. It's unsettling, to say the least. And you might be wondering, well, how do I apply this to me today? The thing that we need to do is contemplate the nearness of God's believe the church will be raptured before these events unfold, um, it should serve as a sobering reminder of the reality and imminence of God's plan for the future. Each chaotic event we hear about today should urge us toward a posture of readiness and discernment. If God has laid out these future events so clearly, then how much more should we trust him with the present? We need to live in preparedness. While we may not experience the red horse's rampage, the tension and chaos we do face in this present world serves as previews of what is to come. These moments should propel us toward spiritual preparedness. Ephesians 6, we've been going through this in the Bible study at Mad Goat. Pastor Dan's been leading that, talking about the armor of God, which includes the belt of truth and the shield of faith. We need to live every day suited up and ready for spiritual battle. We need to bear witness boldly. The breaking of the red horse, the seal that leads to the red horse galloping, serves as a warning not just for us, but for the entire world. This is not a message to be hoarded, but to be shared. The urgency we feel in reading the book of Revelation should transform into an urgency to bear witness to Christ, urging others to come to repentance and faith. And then we need to anchor our peace in Christ. 
In a world that mimics the disorder of the red horse, though not in full scale, we need to anchor our peace in Christ. Chaos is going to happen. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And we see it in various, various forms even now. But the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds, as Paul tells us in Philippians 4.7. And then we need to act on our convictions based on the Word of God. The events represented by the red horse are heavy. They're intense. And they should inspire not just emotion, but action. The chaos around us should drive us to our knees in prayer. But it should also drive us to our feet in action. If God is sovereign, even over the tribulation's terrifying events, then He is undoubtedly sovereign over our daily struggles, inspiring us to live boldly in a chaotic world. As we wrap things up, I just want to say we've covered some pretty intense ground from the breaking of the first two seals in Revelation to those contrasting judgments marked by deceptive peace and chaos. I think the main idea is clear, and if it hasn't, I'm going to make it clear here now. In the complex weave of future events, God's judgments serve as a caution and a call for us as believers. They caution us against the chaos and deception of the world, and it urges us to rely on, dis on being discerning and on the divine peace that can only come from God. We're not here simply to learn about the scary stuff that's coming. We're here to for spiritual discernment and fortitude because readiness is vital as God continues to unfold His plan for the future. What does that look like in practice? Well, we have a call to action. Take some time today. Take some time this week or in the weeks to come to identify one area in your life where you're struggling with discernment. Take some time to identify an area where you're struggling with peace. The peace of God. It could be a relationship. It could be a job situation. It could even be your understanding of world events like what's happening in Israel. Once you identify that area, you need to commit to praying over it daily. And as you pray, ask God for wisdom. As James 1.5 urges us to do, study the Scriptures and meditate on it throughout the week. The Word of God is alive and active, and we need to let it work in us. Speaking of prayer, we also need, as, as it's already been mentioned multiple times, we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for Israel and the situation going on there. Despite all the efforts by political leaders and negotiators, the true, resolution, the true resolution is only going to come from God. So we need to bring our concerns to Him. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 says, We're told to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. As Alex and Bailey come, um, I just want to ask, if you're here today and you're, you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, I don't think we're going to do a formal invitation today, but I want to just encourage you to come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Dan. Talk to the deacons. Talk to our praise team. The door to eternal life is open, but it's only through Christ that we can walk through it. The forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, all of that hinges on the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And if you're wrestling with this, don't leave without settling it. The stakes are too high and the times are too urgent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in awe and humility.
recognizing your sovereignty over all things, even the events that shake us to our very core. Lord, as we've, uh, as we've looked into just this profound prophecy that you've given your servant John, Lord, for us to read, Lord, I pray our hearts would be tuned to your eternal perspective. Lord, we lift up the situation going on in the world, particularly in Israel, the pain, the turmoil, the loss. But even in this, Lord, we trust that you are working. And Lord, we, we do pray for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray for your love to be made evident in the strife. Lord, I pray that the hearts that have turned away from you would be returned, acknowledging your sovereignty and grace. And Lord, as we consider the unfolding events and judgments that we've looked at, Lord, give us discernment and spiritual fortitude. Lord, I pray that the reality of the, the, the white and the red horse would serve as a sobering call to be ready. And may we live each day with our armor fastened and our shields raised and our hearts anchored in the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, use us as your ambassadors in a world that needs you. Fuel us with an urgency to share the gospel, urging others toward repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be vigilant. Help us to keep our eyes fixed, not on the chaos around us, but on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we go into the world that groans for your coming, may we be salt and light, never forgetting that you're in control, that you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.